We started this series um, called Dream Again last week. And at APA, we, we want to encourage you to go after your dreams, and we want to partner with you as you do that. We want you to pick them up, pick them up again if you've put them down at some point. We even ask God to breathe new life into, into those dreams. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to grab a piece of paper and write down your dreams. Some, some would call it a bucket list, but those are like, almost like an obligation of things I, I should do before I die. But I'm encouraging you to write your dream list. Things you'd like to do, places you'd like to go, people you want to impact. How many, just out of curiosity, how many did that? How many actually did that? Took their list and actually wrote? Just Faye. <laughs> okay, well, so some of you just took our paper, just stole our paper. Great. We're actually going to want those back. If you didn't do it, or you weren't here last week, or you're hearing about this for the first time, I encourage you to do this. I encourage you to actually take that piece of paper and write them down. On our Facebook page, I actually asked the question, what, what, is, what is something that is on your dream list? And I had a couple of responses came back. I told you one of mine was, uh, I would love to watch a tennis match at Wimbledon. Uh, Jen said she wants to, she's always said this for a long time, she wants to, to uh, meet our sponsor child who lives in Uganda. Um, Melanie said that uh, she wants to um, have a vintage working old truck and uh, that, she'd be, she, that she wants. That's her that's the thing on her dream list. I encourage you to pray over this list and allow God to add to the list, but also to subtract from it. As you're writing this list, it's important to understand something. Your list is not supposed to look like anybody else's. God wired you in a certain way. You have certain likes, you have certain dislikes, you have certain things that affect you in different ways. That's why one person can sit and watch TV and a commercial for, uh, to adopt a dog comes up and they have like tears running down their face and they head out and two hours later they come back with three dogs. And then another person can watch the exact same commercial and just like, just eat popcorn and it like doesn't affect them whatsoever. We're, we're wired different. There's things that just kind of, kind of uh, that bring things, things out of us. So there's certain things that move you that doesn't move the needle for somebody else. There's things that we're passionate about that nobody else cares about. It's what makes us us. The things you're passionate about, the desires of your heart, they're really important to God. Because the question is, who do you think put those passions there? Who do you think put those desires there? Because sometimes it's easy for us to think that the passions we have for certain things don't really matter to God. Sometimes we think in order to be more spiritual or closer to God, we actually have to rid ourselves of the passions. Every desire, because that's what he wants, and that will lead us closer to him. But, but that's not true. Look what David wrote in Psalm 37.4. Oh, I didn't put it up there. He wrote, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, there's a couple of implications here. The first one is that the desires of your heart actually matter. God wants to give those to you. But the second one is this, is if you delight in the Lord. That means God is the center of your life. Everything you do, every decision you make, it's all done through this filter of what matters to God. Suddenly, your dreams, your plans, your desires of your heart will begin to line up with his dreams, his plans, his desire of his heart. 
See, if you try to empty yourself of all your passion and, all, and suppress all the things that make you tick, you end up living this predictable, boring, passionless life. And followers of Jesus were never meant to live a passionless life. We were meant to live lives of passion and have a strong desire to see God use us to bring forth his power, his grace, and his love to this earth. So we believe that dreams are important. God-given dreams are important. Not just so that you can live the life God is calling you to. Not just so you can feel fulfilled in the center of his plan for you, which is all a good thing. But it's bigger, it's bigger than that. When you delight yourself in the Lord, when you're in sync with his plan for this world, and you pursue the passions he's instilled in you, we believe that God uses all of that to impact the people that are around you. See, God put you here on this earth for a purpose. And we believe it's important for you to wholeheartedly go after your dream, not just for your sake, but for the sake of others. And throughout this series, we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph. Last week, you were introduced to Joseph. Joseph was one of Israel's many sons, but it was his favorite son, which was important. Of course, this caused some jealousy and hatred among his brothers. And to make matters worse, Israel gave Joseph a special coat, sometimes translated to a coat of many colors, but nonetheless, an elegant coat. And this coat became a symbol of disdain for Joseph's brothers. It it actually put a target on his back. And to add fuel to the fire, Joseph tells his brothers of a dream that he had that they would eventually be bowing down before him. Now, when this happens, Joseph is a 17-year-old boy. I don't know if you know any 17-year-old boys. I was a 17-year-old boy at one point. And it's not the peak of maturity amongst a young man. So not only does he tell while he's wearing his special jacket of this dream, and he's probably got a little bit of swagger to him if I know 17-year-old boys, it doesn't help his popularity numbers amongst his family. But what you need to know is that during Joseph's time, dreams actually meant something. They were meant to be interpreted. And it wasn't just a case of, oh, you're not going to believe this crazy dream I had, and then you just kind of dismiss it. When he told his brothers this dream, he was actually telling him, I believe that I'm truly going to rule over you and mom and dad one day. And as what we talked about last week, sometimes people will not respond to your dreams in the way in which you hope. Sometimes your dreams will be met with opposition. And Joseph's dreams aren't just met with opposition. The brothers decide that they're going to kill not just the dream, but their brother. But eventually they come to their senses and they sell him off as a slave to a group of traveling traders that are heading to Egypt. Joseph's brothers bring back his coat to their dad. And they ripped it and it's dipped in goat's blood. And they tell their dad, I think this is Joseph's. And he has to face this grim reality that his son, his favorite son, has died. So Joseph, who's been given this amazing dream by God, almost almost immediately finds himself thrown into a pit by his own family and sold off into slavery. And I believe there's a reason why. Because throughout Scripture, almost any time someone has a dream or God speaks greatness into someone's life, immediately they face hardship. One of my favorite shows for a period of time 
was a show that many of you are probably familiar with, uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. And in this show, there's a family that's usually less fortunate or somebody in the family has special needs, and the house they live in just does not fit their needs. And the show ran from like 2003 to 2012, and I actually just heard that it's making a comeback next month. And the Extreme Makeover crew would kind of swoop in, and they would send the family away for a week while they would rebuild the house from top to bottom. And when you saw the things this team did, it was crazy. I remember one time there was a, there was a kid, and he loved astronomy. And they went in, and they redid his whole room. They put stars on the walls and all kinds of things. But they put this, like, half bubble as a skylight above his room that was attached to a telescope that was attached in his room to a computer. And so he could type in any constellation he wanted, and the, and the telescope would like actually turn towards it and show him on the computer screen. Like, it was just unbelievable. I saw another time this kid, he loved sports, lived in the Boston area, loved sports, and they redid his whole room sports. In fact, they did the whole floor, was a basketball, was like ba- actual basketball hardwood on his floor. And when you took his bed and you flipped it up, he had a basketball net above his bed, and when, he sco- when you scored on it, the whole thing would light up and cheer. And I tried to convince Jen that we could do that with our room. For some reason, she didn't want anything to do with it. But they don't just do a room. They do the entire house. And then at the end, there's this big reveal as they bring the family back. And there's a big coach bus parked in front of the block to block their view. And they move it away as the iconic phrase is yelled, move that bus. And when they move it away, this family is presented with their old house now becomes their dream home. But as a whole, the reveal part in an hour episode is only the last like five or ten minutes. The major part of the episode is the process. The design team, they've got a plan. They know what the end result, what it want, they want it to look like. They have the blueprints. They know what that finished product needs to look like. But there's a process. There's tearing down walls. There's ripping out cupboards. There's, there's problems that they didn't anticipate. And they have to find these creative ways to overcome what they didn't realize was going to happen. And there's many, many people involved in this process. In seven days, it is unbelievable how this thing works. But there's so much hard work that goes into the end result. It's kind of like when, was like when God gives you a dream and a vision for your life. See, we see the end picture. We know what we want to get to, but we want to kind of skip the process. We want the keys to our dream house now. But to get our move that bus moment, there has to be the sledgehammer scene. There has to be the tear down the walls scene. There has to be the overcome the problems and obstacles scene if we're going to get our dream house. And this is where we pick up the story of Joseph. Joseph has seen the end. He knows what the dream looks like, but he's hit a snag. And not just a little snag, he's been sold into slavery. And the middle section isn't just something you can skip. It's here where God forms and shapes your character and molds you to be the person that you need to be so that you can step into the dream. Sometimes he shows you the dream before you're ready. 
But you can't skip the process. Because he's far more concerned with your character than he is your career. He's more interested than who you are than what you do. And I don't think Joseph sees it at the time. But 17-year-old, slightly arrogant, slightly immature Joseph is not ready at this point to step into what God has for him. Because he would fall flat on his face if he skipped the middle. Because at this point, his character is being formed. When God knows what he wants Joseph to become, and he sees how Joseph is carrying himself as a 17-year-old, he's like, "Uh, you're not ready for that. See, your character is the furnace in which your passion burns. Because if your character is questionable, you will burn for passion for the wrong things. But if your character is godly, you will burn with passion for things that actually make a difference. Genesis 39.1, we're going to pick up our story. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. Otherwise, it'll be right here. Now, Joseph had been taken to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of, the, of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. And although Joseph sold into slavery, we see this moment where he becomes the master of his master's house. And what I think God's trying to teach us here is that although he's going to give you a dream, there will be some spots along the way where you will have to serve someone else's dream or serve someone else's vision. And this is the point where we can get discouraged. This is the point where you can look around and you feel like you're stuck in that dead-end job and you wonder, what has this got to do with my dream? Maybe you've got a dream for your family, but you're considering the current conditions that you're in and you don't see how they all connect. You see, Joseph was stewarding every opportunity with excellence to the point that Potiphar doesn't even have to worry about anything but the food he ate because Joseph had taken care of everything. It's important to understand that God is calling you to be faithful in stewarding the moments that don't seem to connect to your dream. The process doesn't always look like the promise. But the process is so necessary in molding the person you need to be able to the person that you need to be to step into your dream. I've seen this in my own life. As a 17-year-old boy, sound familiar? God put this vision for ministry in my mind, but I didn't exactly embrace it the way Joseph did. I kind of actually got in my own head a little bit and disqualified myself. And so for the next 15 years, I would flounder outside of God's dream. And I didn't know it then, but he was preparing me. It was all part of the process. After high school, journalism taught an incredibly shy kid how to talk to people, how to ask good questions 
how to write. Why would I need to learn how to write? Tech support taught me how to listen, how to have patience with people, how to take these foreign concepts and translate them into everyday language, how to de-escalate angry people that wanted to complain and be rude. Why would I need that? What did I do? When I look at, when I look at my colleagues uh, in ministry, they're the same age as me. They're now 20 years in ministry where I'm at 11. And, and I feel sometimes like I'm behind. And I, and, I, and I have almost regret, like, wow, why didn't I follow God's dream from the start? But when I'm able to look at the process that God's brought me through, it was so necessary because of the clay he was working with. See, when you have vision, it's sometimes hard to see how all the pieces fit until you look back. When I was leading someone through reconnecting their internet connection on an overnight shift at 3 o'clock in the morning and they're screaming at me because the last three people that they talked to didn't help them with their problem and now they're talking to, to me at 3 o'clock in the morning and they're angry. They're, I wasn't thinking in that moment, ah, I see what you're doing here, God. I see how this all fits into the, into the plan. But what you do with the process is so vital. It says that Potiphar's entire household was blessed because of Joseph. We think that our season of impact only occurs when the dream is complete. We can see the future, and if I can just get there, then I'll have real impact on people. But our story reveals that Joseph brought blessing to the entire household of Potiphar just by being faithful. God wants to use you in the position you're in now, in the place you are, to the people that you're around, and he wants to do it right now. Because it's easy for us to miss in those moments, to be focused, so focused on the dream to miss what God has for us right in the moment that we're in. I, I heard a story one time, this young man had a, um, his sights set on a career in business. But he was working through school to achieve this dream by working the drive through window at Burger King. But rather than grumble about the job that he had, rather than see this current job as leading nowhere towards his dream and give minimum effort, which... If you've been through drive throughs before, on the other end, it doesn't always sound like the person there is so happy to be there and serve you. But rather than see it as this job leading nowhere, he did it to the very best of his ability. He served customers with a smile. He treated it like it was the biggest thing in his life. And then one day, a man who came through the drive through for coffee and a bagel almost every day was so impressed by the passion in which he did his job for he offered him a position in his land development business. He took notice of how well this young man stewarded what he was given. And he figured, if you're going to treat this job with this much passion, that's got to translate into something bigger. The young man, although he did, it wasn't the end result of his dream, he could now start to see it unfold. God is developing your character during the process. For you to be ready for more, you'll need to have a character that can stand up. As you get more, you will become more of a target. The more responsibility you carry, the stronger your character needs to be. The more influence you have on others, the more the enemy will try to knock you off. And we see Joseph faces this fire a few verses later in verse 6, said this. 
So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though he spoke to Joseph, she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. See, in this moment, Joseph has this decision whether he was going to be a man of godly principle or not, whether he was going to take advantage of the situation for his own personal desire or not. And we live in this society that implies the more powerful you are, the wealthier you are, the more you have a right to do whatever you want to do, to take advantage of whoever you need to, to do whatever you want to do. And what's really interesting is that Joseph chose not to sleep with this woman. It was before the Ten Commandments. It was before God handed down a law that said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Joseph wasn't just submitting to some childhood rule that he had grown up with. Because in the back of Joseph's head, there was this belief that God was still, still had a bigger dream for his life. And that giving in to this moment wouldn't get him where he needed to be. He was beginning at this point to understand the importance of the process. See, we like to think that instantly Joseph would be rewarded for this type of decision for his restraint, for his character, because that's how we want society to treat us when we do the right thing. But verse 11 says this. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house... She called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has, brought, has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak behind, beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told them this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to, to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. See, we find Joseph does the right thing. But he still finds himself falsely accused, falsely convicted, thrown into prison. And for the second time in our story, we find Joseph with a dream, sitting in a cold, dirty entrapment, wondering, what did I do to deserve this? And this is a great place to just call it quits. This is a great place to just say, the dream is done, and I'm done. He's In this moment, he's probably thinking, I was faithful to my father. I was faithful as a slave. This is unfair. I didn't do anything wrong. Maybe you're in that spot right now. Maybe you feel like you've been faithful. 
Maybe you feel like you've done what's right. You have this dream for yourself, for your family, and you've hit roadblock after roadblock. And like Joseph, you feel like, you know what, maybe this is just a sign that the dream was not meant to be. But instead, verse 20 says this. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those, all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in any, everything that he did. See, Joseph, he chooses to be faithful even when it's not fair. Now, the Bible doesn't exactly lay out the entire timeline, and it's quite possible that Joseph had that moment where he sulked. It's quite possible that Joseph found himself in a prison throwing a tantrum, punching the walls. It's quite possible he was very angry. But if he did, he didn't stay there very long because he still had this hope. In the back of his head, he still believed that God was going to be faithful to him if he stayed faithful to God. So we find Joseph in a similar situation. He finds favor with those he submits to. And this is a theme that runs through Joseph's life. He was a favored son, he was a favored slave, and now he's a favored prisoner. His attitude opens doors for him despite his circumstance. He becomes the administrator of his own prison. God is forming Joseph's character in this moment. God knows, he knows what the end is. He knows what's in store for Joseph, even when Joseph doesn't. Joseph doesn't realize right now how important those administration skills that he's developing are going to be. There's going to be a day when Joseph is going to be, have more responsibility than he's ever had. And what prepared him was his slavery and his imprisonment. This is what you need to know. God's taking you through a season of transformation, testing to see if you will steward what you've been given knowing what the end is? Or, or do you just want to skip that part? The hard stuff. You just want to skip and get to the end. I just want the keys to my dream home. I want to skip all the middle stuff. That's tough. The basketball team, Philadelphia 76ers. Four or five years ago, this was a really, really bad basketball team. And they decided they are going to change everything they were doing because they were not getting anywhere. They weren't even making the playoffs for years and years. So they traded away all their high-priced players in exchange for draft picks, and they decided, let's build this team from scratch with the hopes of one day winning a championship. Now, of course, if you're a fan of that team, it means you have to endure the process while their younger players grow and make mistakes and, and they're not good. It's, there's going to be a season when as soon as you rebuild something, there's a season where there's lots of ugly losses. And, and, but the hope is, is that one day, as they grow and they get better, that a championship would be on the horizon. And they coined this phrase that has been repeated for a few years now. And the, and the phrase goes like this, trust the process. Trust the process. Their fans would chant it at times, trust the process. We're bad now, but we're going to be good one day. They're not there yet. But they know that if we don't cut corners and we do the right things, that maybe one day we'll see the dream achieved. 
If you remember last year, the Raptors, that famous shot that Kawhi Leonard took that bounced around the rim like four times, the buzzer beater, that was against the 76ers. They were that close to beating the championship team. The dream is on the horizon for them. But they can continually say, trust the process. I invite the worship team to join me back as I wrap up. Trust the process. I, I think that's a word that we can use when it comes to our dreams. When it comes to seeing what God is doing in our lives, trust the process. Even better than trust the process, trust your God. Trust the God that put the dream on your heart. Because maybe you can't see the end right now. Maybe you're so caught up in the walls of your circumstances Maybe you feel like you're in that prison where all you can see is the walls around you and you can't see past it. Trust the process. In this moment, he's preparing you for something. He's molding you. He's testing to see, are you going to serve the situation I've put you in now? Are you going to be a good steward of that moment to be able to step into your dream? Trust the process. Trust your God. As we said last week, the pit is brief, but the story is long. The story is not over yet. Trust the process. The dream is still on the horizon. Trust the process. Over and over it said, as we read through the story, the Lord was with Joseph. And it didn't say that back when Joseph was the favored son. Back when he was wearing the coat and everything seemed great. The Bible doesn't say the Lord was with Joseph, even though the Lord was with Joseph. But it's almost like as the circumstances got harder, as the, as the pit became darker, five times throughout that chapter, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. It was almost like it was reaffirming so that you know as you're reading this that when things didn't seem like they were going as planned, they didn't forget that the Lord was with Joseph. Whatever you're walking through right now, he hasn't abandoned you. He's using the situation that you're in right now to, to mold your character. Trust the process.